This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. You only postponed it. Judgment Day is inevitable. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. I am your host, James Hamrick, and I am, as always, joined by my co-host, Gabe Green. What's going on? I'm okay. Sick. Mm. <laughs> Hopefully we can do this a pretty short recording, but I feel like every time I say that, yeah, it say, ends up being like a two and a half hour extravaganza And you knew that saying so. that then. What have you done uh, to uh, Yeah, I want to do that matter. <laughs> so we are a show that talks about film series one movie at a time. Uh, and today we are back with the Terminator series with a third entry, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. But before we talk about that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please uh, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes and then like us on Facebook uh, to keep up to date with all the latest episodes and to leave feedback that can be, end up on the show. And speaking of said feedback, I asked on Facebook and Twitter what our listeners thought about this film. Sean said, If judged alongside T1 and T2, it wasn't very good at all. Very disappointing. Peter said, It's really bad. It missed the tone of the series completely. Byron Lafayette said, While the story itself lacks the narrative punch of the first and second installments, it makes up for it with some good action set pieces, an interesting Terminator villain upgrade, and one of the most daring endings for a Terminator film to date. Overall, it concludes the original trilogy in a decent and somewhat fulfilling fashion. Jack said, Honestly, as I remember it, it seemed like filler for the most uh, for most of the movie. It was necessary to finish the story, getting to where the machines took over to bridge the gap, and explain how John was thrown into a position of leadership he never really wanted. All in all, it was a, as entertaining as any other Terminator movie. Uh, aside from that last <laughs> sentence, I pretty much agree with that. Um, then over on Twitter, NostalgiaCast at WD Lundberg said, it's okay. Funnier than I expected. Your levity is good. It relieves the tension in the fear of death uh, and the brave ending, but it lacks Cameron's grace and storytelling prowess to an absurd degree. Uh, an old, our old buddy Josh Mesker said, uh, entertaining. Hate that guy. Uh, yeah, he's kind of the worst. Maybe we'll have him on again. I don't know. Uh, but he said, entertaining, but ultimately forgettable. Yes. So people definitely love this one. Um, <laughs> And I gotta say, if if you hear any sniffling or coughing, I apologize. I'm gonna try to edit out all of that. I'm not feeling terribly well, um, but some of it might sneak through. In that case, I apologize ahead of time. So diving into the behind-the-scenes story of this film, it's it's actually very complicated. There's a lot of back and forth between the studio and and just and the rights. Just this this decades-long battle. Uh, to get the rights to the franchise, um, and I'm, I'm gonna the, the version I'm gonna give is like very abbreviated. <laughs> like the Wikipedia page just goes on and on. And like oh, then this person had, then this person had. It's, it's crazy. Um, so, the, but despite the success of uh, T2, there wasn't a huge rush to make another sequel. Uh, Cameron planned to make one, but he wasn't gonna do it right off the bat. Uh, he went on to make films like True Lies uh, and a little movie called Titanic. You might have heard of that. In 1995, about four years after T2, Carlico, uh, who produced uh, the second film, went bankrupt, and all their film rights would have to be auctioned off and all their assets. Cameron at the time was at Fox working on Titanic, and he expressed interest in doing a Terminator, uh, third Terminator film with Fox after he finished Titanic, which still wouldn't be for a while. 
1996, uh, Cameron worked with Universal to direct the uh, short film portion of the Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time uh, for Universal Studios Florida. It starred, uh, starred uh, Schwarzenegger and Edward Furlong and cost like a whopping $24 million. Have you seen have you, uh, the, uh, the short film portion is available on YouTube. Have you seen this one? No, I didn't even know this existed. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's like a classic, you know, ride with, you know, very, very bad 90s CGI coming out of the screen mm. at you. That kind of I thing. I love it. More rides opened up in Hollywood and Japan. Uh, today, only the uh, the one in Japan st- is still exists. Uh, so during all this time, there was there's some kind of legal issue with the selling off of uh, Carlico's assets. It just it, the, whole, the whole process just took a very long time. So over this time, uh, Fox was making plans to get the game back together with Cameron and Linda Hamilton and Schwarzenegger to make a third film. But also at the same time, Andrew Vanya and Mario Kassar, who were the, th- the founders of Carlico, who had since moved on, they were also planning, so they produced T2, and they were also planning to do their own third Terminator film. So they formed C2 Productions, and they kind of swooped in at the last minute and purchased uh, the rights, the Terminator rights, at, at the uh, Carlico right, I mean, assets auction. So they purchased uh, Carlico's half for $8 million. And then in the next year, in 1998, they purchased Gail Anna Hurd's other half uh, for another $8 million. At this point, uh, Cameron just dropped off the project. Uh, he was offered the job by Vanya Kassar. Uh, this led Arnold to drop out as well out of loyalty to Cameron. So uh, Vanya Kassar went off to fight in a different studio. Uh, in 1999, they hired uh, Teddy Serafian uh, to, write, to write a script. They again later on offered uh, Cameron the job to direct Seraphine's script, but he again passed. And then in uh, 2001, Jonathan Mostow was brought, brought into the project. Um, he was just coming off of the 2000 uh, submarine thriller U571, which is a pretty good movie. Uh, Mostow then brought on uh, John Brancato and Michael Ferris to, re- to rewrite uh, Seraphine's script. Uh, they had just done movies like uh, The Net and The Game. For the film's cast, like you said, uh, there was a, a sense of loyalty between Schwarzenegger and Cameron. Uh, and there was also an additional wrinkle uh, at this point in time as he was gearing up to uh, run for governor in California. Uh, we know how that went. So, uh, however, he was still approached and, and Cameron ended up giving him his blessing. Uh, I should have had the quote, but it was it was basically saying, you know, like, I'd I don't have much interest in the series at this point, but there's no reason that you shouldn't. Like, if they give you a lot of money for it, do it. You know, don't don't feel guilty. Yeah, and and while Cameron wasn't ter- wasn't terribly invested in a third film over the '90s, uh, Schwarzenegger had been campaigning for years to get the game back together and make another one. Yeah, and so he ended up uh, eventually coming back on. Uh, it's crazy. I he's like in his fifties in this. He's like fifty five. He. To me, at least, he barely looks any different between this and Terminator 2. I think he's bigger than he was in Terminator 2. I think he's got like, kind of the, the old man bulk to him. I think he was a bit slimmer in that film, uh, the previous film. Uh, he was paid a record $30 million to come back. This is, you know, yeah, 2002, really. 2003. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Dang. Because, I mean, I guess now the standard that we would be like, you know, like the... Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr., fifty million for Avengers, and although that's uh, often that's back end stuff. Yeah, that's true. Man, that's a that's a lot of money. Uh, but so there's a reason that he looks as good as he did though, because he was actually like in between all of his uh, political, like all all 
in between all of this meeting, all of these meetings he had going on, he was hitting the gym pretty hard. He said, uh, otherwise people would say he's lost it. He's all saggy and flabby. And that would be <laughs> all anyone would talk about. I didn't want to be digitized because someone would blab and it would be all in the columns. So I just worked harder. Um, for the role of John Connor, uh, Edward Furlong had actually signed on uh, in August two th- uh, of the year 2000 to reprise his role. Um, just kind of in the process of them seeking out all of these returning characters. Um, however, he was eventually replaced in December of 2001. Um, and this was, this was because during this point in time, uh, he had been involved in quite a lot of... Um, Quite a, there were a lot of drug instances, like drug use instances he was involved in and stuff, and it was kind of a an RDJ period for him. And so he ended up being replaced by uh, actor Nick Stahl. Um, but among some of the other actors auditioning was uh, Shane West, who I'm actually not familiar with, but uh, but Jake Gyllenhaal and Logan Marshall Green also went and auditioned for the role. I I really would have loved... Either of those, actually. I really like both of those guys. Um, for the villain role, uh, Christana Loken was cast as TX. This is the first on-screen female Terminator. Uh, so, apparently it's said that around 10,000 different women auditioned for the role. Um, Schwarzenegger himself campaigning for wrestling star China, uh, China to get the role. Um, names like Famke Jansen were thrown in. And apparently there was a... A bit after the re, uh, the release of the Fast and the Furious, where they were thinking about rewriting the script so that they could have a, another male Terminator and give it to Vin Diesel. However, eventually, uh, Christina Land or Loken was uh, given the role for the role of Kate Brewster. Uh, it went to Claire Danes. However, so she was she was the very first pick, but initially she was uh, she was not able to sign on because of. Uh, like scheduling conflicts, and so actress Sophia Bush was cast as a role uh, in the role instead. Um, however, during the filming, Mostow felt that Bush's appearance and performance seemed too youthful for the role, uh, and he's quoted saying, "I tried everything I could uh, I could to make her look older, but ultimately the camera doesn't lie. So I had to replace her, and it was heartbreaking because it was a huge break for her." Someone's got to make like a documentary about people like this, you know. Um... Stuart what's Townsend, the guy? The guy, yeah, him. What's the the guy in Back to the Future? I forget. Um, who was cast prior to Michael J. Fox? I'm forgetting his name, which is rather ironic <laughs> and sad. Um, but you know, like it's, old old would be Wolverine. Yeah, like how I can't imagine how just painful it has to be, especially if you get to filming and you're on set and you're you're you know getting into the groove and then. You get kicked off like that. That's got to be the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, that's that's the rough, the roughest part in this case, and like the case of Sophia Bush and, and someone like Stuart Stuart Townsend, who was originally cast as Aragorn, was the fact like it's it's not just you're hired and then in the interim you get fired. This is like we're shooting. It was it was a month into shooting before Bush was replaced. It was something like that on Back to the Future as well. Yeah, that is Eric just, Stoltz. Oh uh, yeah, name. now I'm remembering that name. For Lieutenant General Robert Brewster, uh, the role went to David Andrews. Um, for Scott Mason, uh, the fiancé who, uh, like all, all other family members of lead characters, is killed off by a Terminator, uh, it was played by Mark Famigletti? Famigletti? I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but uh, that is my attempt there. 
Uh, and Earl Bowen uh, reprises his role as Dr. Peter Silberman, making him <laughs> and Arnold the uh, the only two actors to um, reprise their roles across the initial trilogy. Um, and this last bit of casting information is not about somebody who actually was cast, but somebody who came close to casting, and that was uh, Linda Hamilton almost reprised her role. Um, however, uh, in November 2000, she like that was whenever the like all, there was a lot of talk about getting everything done, but it wasn't until 2000 that she actually declined the role. Um, and then she commented on it a year later, saying the film is really about turning uh, turning the baton over to Sarah's son John, played by Eddie Furlong. It's Eddie's movie and Arnold's. It's like a no win situation for me. Um, and like a lot of the people who were initially hesitant, she was also less enthused because Cameron wasn't returning. Um, and so she also said, they offered me a part. I read it and I knew my character arc was so complete in the first two. And in the third one, it was a negligible character. She died halfway through and there was no time to mourn her. It was kind of disposable. So I said, no, thank you. Um, what's ironic about this is this was actually, uh, Mostow claimed that this is one of the conditions he gave when he came on as director was that Hamilton had to reprise her role. Um, However, he realized that where he was wanting to take the story, there wouldn't be much for her. And so he ended up saying, Linda, Linda Hamilton is too important to the franchise to stick her in as the third wheel. Um, and so, but he, he still wanted to try to include her somehow. And so the the coffin scene was kind of their way of, of, of homaging the spirit of the character without actually casting her. So filming began in spring of 2002 and it was shot in Southern California. <laughs> it definitely looks like that. <laughs> Um, uh, Don Burgess was the cinematographer. He's done a lot of work with Robert Zemeckis over the decades. Uh, and he had just come off shooting, uh, Spider-Man, which was a, you know, pretty good size hit at the time. Uh, it was a pretty massive production. Uh, at the time of release, it would have been the most expensive film of all time, uh, not adjusted for inflation, but it would only hold that distinction for a year until being passed, uh, by Spider-Man 2. For the film score, uh, Marco Beltrami, uh, returned to compose it. Um, and it continues to use the the leitmotif by Brad Fidel, although way Barely. too... Yeah, way too sparingly, uh, which is sad. I think this would have been Beltrami's biggest film to date. Up till then, he'd been primarily horror and thrillers. Uh, it ended up having its uh, premiere at the Man Village Theater in Westwood, Los Angeles on June 30th, 2003. So, yeah, uh, th I forget. You had not seen this one. The only one you've seen previously was Salvation, correct? Yeah, correct? but okay. prior to this... Yeah, Salvation was it. Yeah, so a first time viewing, James, what did you think? Did it blow you away? Yeah, so I, I I, feel like this is one of those moments where it's a good thing I didn't see it when everybody else did and everybody, and I just get to hear all of these negative like complaints, everybody who hates it and this and that. And now, you know, it comes out 2003. Now, what, 18 years removed? Now I get to oh see gosh. it, and <laughs> yeah, and now I get to watch it and think that was fine. I enjoyed my little time with that. I, I I'm not like aching to watch it again. Although I we'll, we'll talk about this in the review. There's a way in which it works with the other films that I actually really like a lot, and so I don't know. I'm when it comes to franchises, I. It's rare, if ever, that I just I would 
unless it's like something like Alien, where I just feel like it's like, oh, this is a this is one movie that I can enjoy without anything else. I haven't seen the rest. Maybe I'll feel different. But usually with a franchise, I'm like, if I'm in this, I'm in this for the long haul. And so I'll probably get back to this whenever I re return to the Terminator series. But it's not going to be too much of a chore because I actually do like the the way this kind of ends this first trilogy. So I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of rambling. But really, I I was surprised with, you know, the the fact that I was able to enjoy this in any capacity and was able to walk away and be like, ah, that... How not terrible it is. Yeah, like, that's that wasn't an awful movie, which kind of made it a, a little <laughs> pleasant surprise. And I don't know, I think, you know, one of the one of the comments was, you know, like, it, com it completely missed the tone. Uh, I mean, it's definitely sillier. It's, it's... In that early 2000s stage of, like, trying to be real cool. Uh, and it just ages very poor. Like, attempts at being cool and edgy in the early 2000s have Oh, you're going to always... love the Sarah Connor Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh, I completely forgot. I said we were going... Oh, man. I Whoops. I guess I need to get started on that. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I saw this the first time back when I watched uh, the, the first two films, like about seven or eight years ago. I, I enjoyed it, but I've never felt compelled to go back and watch it again. I, I I never never really jumped on the hate train. I was like, yeah, it was, it was good, not nearly as good. I never jumped on the hate train, although, although a lot of people kind of feel the same as I do. Um, and so, yeah, I watched it again, and eh, it's all right. <laughs> it's a movie. Uh, it's enjoyable to watch. The big thing we gotta get out of the way right well there's a lot of big things <laughs> but I guess the primary flaw of this film like I think there are a lot of problems like I think Jonathan Mostow's direction is very blech um, but I think this film could have survived even that if it really had a heart and a brain like it's their ideas here the, the whole the conceptual arc that John Connor is going on I think is actually a very good one I think very in line with the Terminator series. Um, like the first scene where he's talking about this, but the, this mix of aimlessness and paranoia. And then the final scene where he, you know, he finally has to accept this thing he's been running from his whole life. Like th there's a great arc, you know, to get us from one to the other, but it doesn't barely, it barely happens in the movie. Like it's, it's present in a couple scenes, but the film is so, uninterested in dealing with themes and ideas it's just you know a road trip action movie and there are scenes there are beats it comes it goes and it never takes advantage of that, of that central arc and i think in the way it should where i feel like if, if it had all those other problems aside you know 2000 cgi inconsistent tone bland filmmaking i think it could have come out in the end as a really solid terminator sequel if it had you know, dug down and actually given us a good arc for John Connor. And it, 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 it hurts so much because the material is all there. Like they had the idea, they clearly had these thoughts when they were writing the script, but just something didn't come across. Yeah. You wonder just what all got, got cut, you know, from the script, what all like, because like you said, to me, there are, there are moments present where you're like, okay, so you're aware of the potential, and it's not even just you're aware of the potential, but you're you're aware of the attempt being made right now. And part of what makes me think that stuff was cut is because the this movie begins 
feeling like like with his opening monologue or like with the voiceover it's very much setting an arc up in a very intentional way you know this person who's just keeping his head down still kind of like judgment day came and went and nothing happened but he still can't shake that sense of paranoia and a lot of his interactions with the terminator as well are kind of surrounding this idea yeah and so like this this stuff is is present here and so to me, it just feels like somewhere along the way in rewrites or maybe just even shooting, it's like things got cut away to where you're you're left with the most basic of arcs to the point of like we're we're only using arc because we're aware that that was the like what the attempt was. And I think another reason I think it could have worked because as I think that Nick Stahl is actually he's really good, in my opinion. Just the way he plays this, that sense of paranoia, like he, he was trained all his life for a thing, but they, but they supposedly, they bypassed it, you know, they, they, they defeated Skynet, but he's all, you know, he's terrified that it's going to happen, but also he just, he, and, but he, he's almost more terrified of it because he doesn't want to be, you know, he doesn't want to be that here. I think there's a really interesting arc to be explored there, I think, you know, this, this attempt to avoid his destiny, to, to avoid becoming you know, John Connor, the, the savior of mankind. And it, it'd be tricky because obviously stopping Judgment Day in and of itself is a noble cause and you know, obviously very desirable. I think there'd be an interesting arc there where it's like he, he's trying to stop it, not because he, it, almost more because he's afraid of becoming, you know, afraid mm-hmm. of what he has to become. Um, yeah. And, and then ultimately that you know that final moment where he's on the radio and like you know John Connor can you help us i think like it, it, as it is it's really powerful but i think if they had really dove into it and explored that we could have had a really powerful arc that uh, i think that overall the the film does kind of justify its existence you know in, in what it does with John Connor and obviously you got to have judgment day in order for the you know for the cycle to continue but it would have been more than just you know a necessary step. It would have been actually I think, a powerful chapter, you know, in the series. Yeah. Man, I really like that idea. Like the finding the selfishness and the motivation to stop it is really interesting to me. And I think Stahl could play it. Um, the moments he gets to be emotional, I think, are pretty effective. They're few and far between, but he he's going for it. Yeah, I, it's it's I I feel. Like I'm not giving him a fair shake, like because I I feel like he was always he was always good, like with what he had. But maybe because the character gets so little, there I never really found myself going like, oh, this guy, he's he's really great. Like even if that, like even if that possibility was there, uh, like I mean he he can effectively look kind of paranoid and freaked out. And I I think like he's he's got uh, just kind of like a memorable look to him. Uh, I'm sure that. In a different script, I probably would be like, "Oh yeah, this this stall guy is great." Uh, and I, 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 I think like there's a like a tired anger to his performance, and yeah. the, the, the just the frustration at how unfair it all, this all is. Um, like we stopped it. Like, why does this have to keep happening to me? Like that that kind of anger, I think is I think it's really it's it's in his performance. You know, he like he at least he thought about this character, whether or not you know Mostow did, <laughs> and like the. To me, for for the the brief amount of time that I've been able to spend thinking about it, the uh, the two real missed um, 
oh, I'm going blank on the term, missed opportunities, uh, was one, I feel like you could have done an interesting, like, pseudo compare, or like, you, you could do, you could find the similarities between his character here and um, Sarah Connor in the first one. Like, obviously her role isn't, you know, she she starts off not believing that this is a thing. And because of, you know, the events of T2, he's very much aware of the reality of this. But there's still that sense of, like, you know, she's told this this child you're carrying is going to be the war hero that we need him to be. And, like, there's... You have all of this expectation and, uh, and this intense pressure that you have to feel. You know, that she felt, you know, into having him and raising him. You know, like, I, if he's supposed to be this, I have to, I can't shirk that responsibility. And so it would have been interesting for him to have been able to relate even more with his mom, knowing that, like, there is this expectation of him. Or I think even more interesting is if he was he was trying to, like, actively running away from it. Like, like we stopped it. I don't have to be that. He's, like, trying his best to have a life, but at the same time, constantly having the fear and the nightmares and just the the, the paranoia that, that this thing that he knows can't happen is going to happen. So, like, he, it keeps screwing up his life. And you know, no matter how hard he tries, he can't actually live. I don't know. I, I I like the kind of, I like the kind of stories like the you know, unbreakable or something where you you know they're just they're really miserable because they're they they're rejecting their destiny kind of thing. Yeah, and you know it's I feel like you could have brought back like I, obviously I I didn't get to read the script so I I may have I probably would have read it knowing the script that we get I probably would have read the initial one and been like yeah there's nothing here for Sarah but I feel like you could have written this in a way like that involves her maybe in the first act and have her. Like have like be able to mind this drama of, of her still trying to prepare him even after Judgment Day goes, and him well, being the one. I guess like, you'll you'll like uh, <laughs> Sarah Connor Chronicles. Well, there you go. Maybe I will. But I, I also I I kind of like that she, she like she was taken down by leukemia, something so mundane. But you know, even he took down this great hero, and it's just the, it kind of plays into the whole miserable unfairness of life. The the last thing that I was like thinking with his character, uh, in in you know like this this intended arc of of rejection to acceptance of of your destiny and is I I feel like if they really followed through on this better, it you get to have one of those great moments where there is there's the arc for the character and then like the the films the film's arc itself or the overall point is like also tied into that you know because for him it's this i i am destined to be a leader but i'm fighting tooth and nail to stop that and and his final point in this film is this acceptance of it and then you can see this trilogy like this as the end of this trilogy of being like we have tried to fight tooth and nail to stop this thing but in the end this is what is destined to happen. We're only delaying the inevitable. So so for him to come to terms with what must happen for himself alongside this trilogy coming to terms with the rise of the machines, I think could have been like cool storytelling, but but both of these ideas get a bit too lost during the movie and like by the end of it, it, it doesn't feel like we we arrived there thematically. Yeah. Um and there's 
there's really not that much to say about the rest of the cast. Like Arnie, he's great. Like you could definitely see the you know the past decade on him, but you wouldn't tell him to his face. <laughs> And it it works like he's he's got it. He's still he's still a lot of fun. He's got some pretty good one liners um, and he really rocks the strippers costume. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah man, a, it, man, that that scene kind of set the tone for what this is going to be, because it so much of this movie felt like it's like it's like Terminator 2, but edgier and cooler. You know, like this is and, well, not even always edgy or cooler. Sometimes it's like. It was like the hanging your lantern on it of like, we we know how, I don't winking. know, do what? Winking, kind of self-aware. Yeah, yeah, like the, I don't know, the the glasses bit and, I don't know, the, boy, the, the talk to the hand was was really something. That, Although that, scene, that second pair of glasses he gets is on point. Oh, yeah, it, it, for sure. But it's just, to me, what makes the moments that work so well in Terminator 2 work is like there's a sense of earnestness. Like it, mm-hmm. just him walking out to bad to the bone, taking the sunglasses, that incredible shot of like the first shot of him on the motorcycle. Like it's, it's played so straight. They don't have to say, they don't have to remind you, the audience, that this is cool because it is cool. But for him to be like, these little silly glasses, no, these are my stuff. It's like, we get it. We don't have to do that. And I don't mm. know. It, it felt like it was kind of nudging you. Be like, remember, we're, we're cool. We're aware. We're like you. And it, it gets a bit much to edit, like at a point. I, I do like his new relationship in this film with John to where he doesn't have to follow orders and he can just toss him around. And like the scene where, um, in the uh, in the crypt, where it's like, you know, you're right. You're not the one I want. I like and, you, that. You get, and then it's like, and then he gets him to like scream and I'm like, that's better. Anger is more useful than despair. Basic psychology is among my subroutines. <laughs> like the little moments where he's like, like where he has to be. He's the one now having to convince John Connery to take up the mantle and do his job. I think was is a good, <laughs> good um, development. But again, I feel like so I like Arnie in this. Like throughout, I think he's nailing everything. It's just, this is another example of like, you had things here that are interesting, but what ended up on screen wasn't necessarily interesting. Like, the idea that they they make use of his childhood attachment to the Terminator, to like, with, with that, like the fact that that's what they send after him because of that attachment, like, that's a cool idea. And um, and what's also really cool to me is uh, the fact that, like, this Terminator, this one that's protecting him, this was the one that was going to kill him, you know? Or wait, I, I forget. It, did, did, it killed it, him yeah, in sorry, the future. That, that does kill him. Like, that's, that's a really great little moment. Yeah. Like, so, so that idea that he's working with the murderer of his future self who is now here to protect him. And the reason he was able to kill him was because they preyed upon his childhood attachment to like that. I don't know. That's that, all of that wrapped up is such a cool premise. And really all we get of it is this, this bit of exposition. Like this is how it happened. This is why I'm here, blah, blah, blah. And it's never really touched on again. And so I don't know, to me, it was just like, you, you, you did the work. You came up with some pretty cool ideas there. Like I, I wish you did more with them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
his delivery of relax <laughs> and um, Claire Danes in the back with his the wild eyes. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down in my notes just by itself. There's something so funny about that. It is like it is like the fact that like but he the way he's able to play the cyborg is so well where it's like most of the time it's just it's so even keel and he, he does that amazing thing where like our eyes don't really like they don't really drift. They they pick points to fix on. But so often like that camera has him turning his head back and forth in front of the camera and it just it looks like he's laser focused at something. There's never a moment where he seems to like lock eyes with the camera or lock eyes with something. He he really feels like like this uh this Terminator, this machine, but just that brief moment of relax <laughs> just killed me. Which she, she jumps out of the back on and just like <laughs> he just picks her up by her collar. Uh, um, yeah, yeah he's great us, this. I like him. Which brings us to Claire Danes. Um, you know, I think she's completely fine. She does what she needs to do, but that character is nothing, really. Like, I think she has a good introduction, the way she outsmarts John Connor and locks him in the cage. And I think there's, there's some clever writing about how they get the characters together and and send them off, you know, together on the road trip. Like, like there's a there's often a problem of like why do characters trust each other so fast in movies? I think they kind of get around it by just like forcing people together, like literally locking her in the back of the truck and him not even knowing she's there. Like, there's cool touches like that. I think you know to get them together, you know, in you know funny, clever situations. But the character herself is just there's there's really nothing for her to do. Like, so is is part of that great writing the line next time don't bring a paintball gun bring a clue? <laughs> I just think the dialogue was great. I know what you mean. It's just man that that line. Oh, what a doozy. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have anything to say about her? I I feel bad, but yeah. I- so it's, I'm, I'm looking down on my notes and I feel like they're they're super scattershot just because most of it, I, I didn't take the time, I usually try to do this, but I didn't really gather it into uh, specifics. But, but what I've noticed is that as I'm trying to look through for related things, I don't really have anything written for her. Like it's, like you're saying, there's there's not really a character to engage with. She doesn't... Like, her arc is too much of a plot arc. It's it, it's not an actual character arc or an emotional thing. It's just this, at first I didn't believe this thing was real. And her arc was like believing it's real and, and accepting the reality of it. And that's that's more of a, like a plot thing. That's more of a, well, a person sees this and naturally they, like they accept. Like, you're not really taking a character on a, on a journey with that. Most, most characters... Like any any major character in these films gets that you know where they they don't believe it and then they see it, and and outside of that there's just nothing really there and and I don't know like maybe maybe part of it is like everything about it is so wrapped up in like just this like cheesy lines like that I like I, I don't think she's bad but I also just even the performance I don't think is amazing either it, it feels like a lot of like kind of shouting and and very basic line readings and stuff like she has moments that i think are pretty good but i don't know like whether it's the performance or the the character itself i i find like it's it's kind of hard to find anything to really say about it yeah 
Um, I think another big issue with this film is that it it just does the road trip chase movie uh, structure again, which that's what the first two films were. But they had James Cameron, and here like it, they're just doing all the same beats again, but it's just significantly less amazing. <laughs> Um, and so it, it's inviting com- comparison to the previous two films, and it just can't stack up. I think if this film were to be successful, it would have had to somehow ditch just the road trip angle. Like, in which case, like, is it even a Terminator movie? Like, what is a Terminator movie without a road trip chase? I don't know. I think there was an interesting thing going on with, um, you know, General Robert Brewster, her father, you know, him being the one in charge of Skydown. If, I don't know, maybe if it could have been. You know, le- I, but every every like every um solution I propose kind of makes it less of a Terminator film. But at this point, like you can only improve it. I think maybe if it had been more about maybe the, the drama of the, the human arrogance that it takes to create Skynet, and maybe and something about you know John Connor actually trying to reason with these people and exploring you know, the hum- the the human hubris and uh, I don't know. I mean, there's something I, I, that's something that's never really been. It's 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 an intrinsic part of the of the um of the series, but it's never really been explored. The entire you know the, the actual creation of the AI and, and the the people who do it and all of that. So I think there's like that's a direction they could have gone. Like his character is there, but he only has like three scenes and he dies. As far as structure, they needed to do something different than just running across the country and the Terminators chasing them and. and that's the problem is a terminator they chase you and if you're not if you're not running you die so it's very hard to think of a structure that works yeah so i'm i i just watched it the one time but i'm i'm still a little fuzzy on the creation of skynet join the club when we come in it's already completed it's like in the beta testing uh, but there's there's this oh yeah there's the virus there's this virus infecting the nation's computers and they want to put an already completed but you know not yet ready Skynet into the I guess like uh, like the networks like this is very early two thousands internet uh, musings um, <laughs> oh man this movie dates itself so fast with all but of the I, I think like viruses I, I, I kind of a no brainer like have you know the TX have her come back and infect. You know the national networks or whatever with the virus. Like that's such a it's a weird thing that they never connect the virus back to Skynet. Like as if you know they're coming back to infect the computers, so they're gonna have to you know put Skynet in to get rid of the virus. And and, and it's more of that kind of bootstraps paradox where there, where Skynet is creating itself. But I think it would have been a cool twist. Yeah. Well, so I the the virus itself was still Skynet though. We don't know. It's, it's just a virus. It, the movie starts and, oh, the virus is messing up our computers. We got to use Skynet to fix it. So it yeah, might have been. It feels like with the, with part of his last monologue, uh, with you know, talking about, he, he has the line, like, Skynet was already self-aware. I, something about that line and what he's talking about there, it, it felt well, like... You know, it, it's like it becomes self-aware within, you know, however many seconds of of, of, um, of being booted up. Well... Whatever. All I have to say, I, I I forget the the company that the guy worked at in Terminator Two. Cyberdyne. Cyberdyne. Yeah. The the fact that so are are they basically saying if originally Cyberdyne was going to create it, but then we took them out. So now this now the 
Air Force somehow responsible for creating what becomes the exact same thing identically? Yeah, let's, let's get into that. Um, there's a fun thing about these these three films that each one produce you know gives us an entirely different theory of time travel which i think is just kind of funny the first one is kind of the, the bootstraps paradox is predestination everything that you know is going to happen happens on a linear timeline the second one is very back to the future every action that we take changes the you know, changes the past if we go back to the past every action we take changes the future um this one I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't know. There's probably a technical name for it. I don't know. The best uh, an analogy I've seen was in uh, Days of Future Past, where Nicholas Holt is talking about there's a theory of time travel where time is a river and you can throw a rock into it. It'll create a ripple, it'll create, you know, differences and a disturbance, but it will smooth itself out and, and correct itself, which I think is what ha what's happening here. Like they did stop, they, they stopped Skynet, but. Skynet is just such a integral part of space time that it has to happen. And your time is time essentially heals itself and does the thing that it was going to do regardless of our, of what we do. Skynet finds a way. Exactly. And I, I like that. I think it's a great place to end the series or the, this trilogy, you know, in <laughs> hopeless inevitability, but also there is, there is a hope, you know, we have John Connor, you know, you know, most of humanity's gonna die, but we are going to win in the end. It's it's very very bleak, and I yeah. and I like that it has the balls to do that. Um, oh, but I, still not, not removing all hope. Yeah, I I love the ending, and I'll, I'll I'll say that say that now. I think just what for me it was, <laughs> and I, I like this explanation, and I think it works well with that you know that i that idea in uh, Days of Future Past, but. It was just without that really being, without the movie really addressing the idea of of time travel too much and and bringing that to the forefront. It just it's funny going from Terminator Two of like Cyberdyne creates this thing. These are the way that the like when they build machines, the machines look like this. It's called this. And then whenever that's no longer in the picture, like 10 years later, it's like the Air Force <laughs> designed something that looks the exact same, gives it the exact same name. I don't know. The, like, just the the fact that there's no real reference to Cyberdyne itself or and there's there's no relation between them. It, just, it feels weird. And it, it, it feels weird, too, because John Connor's like, oh, he's the key. And in the line, it's like, he's always been the the key or something like that. Like he has this moment of realization when he's like, Oh, we got to go after your dad. Like, that's what this has all been about. He makes it feel like, like, Oh, it's always been this. I'm like, no, it, wait, what? I was just, I was confused with, with this idea. Cause it, I mean, in this alternate version, I really like this. But it just exists. <laughs> we're not giving the answers. It, it just yeah, exists. I think what made it frustrating to me was it feels like it's this moment of, oh, it's this, it's always been this. It's like, no, it, it wasn't always like, it was Cyberdyne. It was this other thing that we stopped and successfully delayed. It was, I don't know. Well, uh, he says, you know, judgment day cannot, was it up? You only postponed it. Judgment day is inevitable. Like if they didn't create it, someone else would, which is, yeah, is this, this is a motif that's going to return multiple yeah. times in the series. Yeah. To me, it would have just been interesting if, that there was some sort of distinction between 
the Skynet created by Cyberdyne and the Skynet created now. And almost like maybe because it was created as a part of a military thing, it's it's even more aggressive. And like, so that would take imagination, James. (laughs) Well, excuse me. But like that, that would be cool. Like, because it's a. Well, yeah, they give us our fancy new uh, sexy lady robot. That's that's progress. But, uh, you know, you know, but she's like a. Or the, the movie with, you know, automatic boob enhancement. I mean, like, what, what more could you want for the future? <laughs> Apparently, I really need to listen to the Terminator Three commentary because, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger finds that part amazing and hilarious, <laughs> and he lets everybody know in the commentary. But, but I do think that that like that that could have been a cool idea of like what we won from Terminator Two was delaying it, but the cost was a Skynet that's even more aggressive. Like we, we didn't necessarily do ourselves any favor and we've, we've changed things for the worse. Like for, for there to have been some visible effect of the fact that its origin has changed, its history has changed. Like that, mm. that could have been cool to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how do you feel about uh, Christina Loken as TX? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think she, like she's obviously not Arnie in the first one, and uh, why am I going blank on his name? Robert uh, Patrick. Yeah, Robert Patrick in the second one. You know, I I hear honestly the only cultural awareness I have of her is that particular gift that gets shared, uh, which I oh the enhancement, gift. the immediate oh. enhancement. <laughs> I wasn't uh, aware this was a gift, but it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but. Like I think she's fine. Like looking into her casting, she did a ton of training. She worked with a uh, with mimes to try to to get that physical control, like the the sharp turns, the quick, like the the snappy looks and stuff. It's where it feels super rigid and quick. Um, and and then kind of what we talked about before this this idea that the arms move and there's like. Whenever we stop movement, there's kind of the give, like where this is where we mean to stop, but we don't freeze up, and so it kind of swings a little. And so there's a, I think she gets a lot of that right. I don't know. It, to me, and maybe it's just because I've only had one viewing, but it's like I don't think it's bad or anything, and I think it works as well enough as it, it should. But I can't like pinpoint the reason why it's it's not it's not Robert Patrick or it's not Arnie. Well, I spent my entire viewing this time trying to pinpoint why. I I think. I, she doesn't really work for me. I, I, there's there's a couple reasons. One is, this is a horrible thing to say, but there's something weirdly plastic about how she looks. Like that, the perfect haircut. It's all and the the odd leather pants suit. Like, and, and I think also I just the makeup. That's the, what you're the makeup, to complain about. The makeup is like so. There's, there's something weirdly like she looks like an action figure and. Even like when it's her, it's a real actress. She looks plastic. It's strange. It's the weirdest thing. Um, I kind of liked that. Uh, like I, I liked how immediately recognizable just this slicked back hair was. But and also, I, th- I think she just she just overplays everything. I, th- there is a subtlety to both Arnie and Patrick's performance where there's 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 a real uncanny valley because. They're not entirely inhuman. There, there's a bit of humanity in them, but the, it, and it's it's spotting the weird little quirks that just drives you crazy. I feel like she kind of avoids the entire uncanny valley by being so exaggerated and so inhuman that she's immediately 
like that that's a robot and you you just reject it like she doesn't have that same creepy uncanny valley factor because of how exaggerated she is and i but i do want to praise her physical performance because like watching behind the scenes there were several movements and motions that i assumed were cgi that like she actually did like her physicality is striking but but i, I think it's almost too much to where she she just crosses that line to, um and loses that creep factor to the point where like she's everything about it feels so robotic and cgi that it's not scary anymore yeah it's weird trying to define it for me because now i'm trying to think more about it and as you're bringing up these things i think for me um part of it also feels like you know we, we talked about with robert patrick it feels like towards the end it it begins to to almost feel like it has a personality. Like it's taking mm. some level of enjoyment from this. And I feel like to some extent she starts that way. Like I get too much personality from her. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what you're talking about like with this idea of overplaying. Like everything is very big and it's like, I am the villain and I'm doing this. And it, you, don't, you, you lose that. Also, I think she's just over-designed. And this is a, this is a continuing problem because you know the the, the T eight hundred and the T one thousand are such perfect movie villains that they, they keep trying to 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 um to surpass them and do something new and, and but and I thought they always overcomplicate and I, I and I understand it's a very tricky spot to be in to try and you know improve on perfection but like she's got you know the plasma cannon and the you know the, the drill finger that can control machines and the skeleton itself i think is just too much like there's a simplicity to the the the, the classic terminator skeleton that's just terrifying and she feels like something out of star trek there's something very very sci-fi and, and not that I tangible like, and though, at I, all what i did like about the kind of combination of the 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 liquid metal and the skeleton was I liked watching the liquid metal like climb back onto the skeletal frame and reshape. Like that, that effect was pretty oh, cool to me. The uh, the particle the particle accelerator, where she's stuck stuck against it, and the liquid metal is like slowly dribbling off her face. Yeah. Like that's a really creepy uh, visual. But even like the uh, I'm trying to forget. I don't know if it's it's the transition between the fiance back to her or, or something happens where like. She is just the robot. Oh, I think that like the moment wherever, you know, she's chasing them and Arnie grabs her and he's pulling her back and stuff where she's like, it's very much just the skeletal frame and it's like the, mm -hmm. the skull shape and the liquid metal is like trying to climb back onto onto the, the face and reshape like it was a, it was a cool effect. I do want to mention a couple of uh, this one action scene in particular. Uh, I think the truck chase is is pretty impressive. I think the, you know, the integration of CGI and practical effects, while it's noticeable, I think by 2003 standards is still pretty solid. Like there's some pretty heinous stuff from that time period, and this isn't this isn't terrible for the most part. But that truck chase, we talked about just the in T two, just the joy of destruction of watching <laughs> real practical cars and buildings get smashed by vehicles, and oh boy. <laughs> a lot of that happening here i think the, the 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 train truck is a really unique and memorable design for a vehicle um 
the shot of Arnie on the end smashing through the building. Oh, I loved it. And, and the puppet they have it like they could have had like a CGI double that would have been terrible, but they had like an actual like really heavy solid puppet hanging there. And like it's like oh my gosh, they just killed Arnie. Whatever <laughs> um, the the fire uh, fire trucks going by, and it just like you you plows right into him. I felt that like that feels like it has weight to it, you know. Like the it was just, just plowing over cars and oh, that one shot, that wide shot of of the arm over above the cars, and it's just one after the other toppling over. Like that was like chef's kiss. Mm, I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's it's you know it's not as good as anything in T two, but by the you know by general action movie standards, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. Um and. And like you said, so I I feel like I could talk more about like the, the integration of CGI in this and stuff because sometimes I do feel like the way it's and and maybe it's because my my standard is today, but sometimes I I do feel like the the integration of CGI in the action is like uh, uh, you really didn't have to do I mean, that. It is never perfect, but it's I think it's it's yeah. good for the time. Yeah, but I think like this chase scene has moments where you're like, okay, well that that was CGI right there, and with very little exception, I think most of that, most of that actually really works. Like where it's just, it's it's used to enhance what is practical there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I I want to know if you felt the same way, in some of the like the way he has like he presents impact and momentum, especially in some of the hand to hand stuff. I got like a a much less talented proto like Man of Steel Snyder, huh. where it's okay, like the, the bathroom scene. Yeah, um, where it's like the, the it's, sound design is all the, the the feeling of impact. I think is there in the sound design in the the raw destruction. But again, like, you know, circa two thousand three. Yeah, but the the visual aspect of it to me, it it felt like. Because I, I adore the the fight scene in Smallville and, and Man of Steel, and there, yeah. like you get that sense of like, there's it, it's almost it's almost natural movement, and then something happens, and it's like we just hit fast forward, and like we grab somebody and we threw them, and it's it's just it's going from like stances and poses to different things happening, and there was a lot of that to me that really reminded me of of Snyder's way of shooting action there where like she'll grab him and then she'll throw him. And it's almost like this stylized throw of where like he speeds through and things kind of fade. I, I don't know. I, I really yeah. I got that sense, but with imperfect, uh, with imperfect CGI, that style doesn't work super well. So not all of the, not all of the, like the hand to hand stuff worked great for me. Yeah. I, I liked what he was going for though. At the, and I think it, it worked for the most part. There are shots. Yeah. That are not great. Uh, but overall, I, I do want to talk about Mostel's work, and I, I have mostly criticism. I think you know, he does. It's 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 a very bland looking movie. This is a lot of like just dull static shots that have absolutely no personality or style. There's not even like barely even a color grade to it. It's it, it is it's a shockingly bland looking movie, and I, I guess we should be blessed, feel blessed that it didn't go for a two thousands music video look which a lot of action movies were doing uh, but it's, it's all it's like it's effective like we see what we need to see it moves it doesn't you know it doesn't drag it doesn't rush actually yeah, everything plays out as it should and everything get, comes across but 
you know, when you compare it to Cameron's perfect control over every element of his frame and, you know, getting across exactly what he wanted you to feel to the maximum with, you know, with style and just impact and energy, there's, it just doesn't work. And there's none of that here, especially there's, there's no tension. Oh, man. Yeah. And there's a scene that I think in particular that exemplifies that is when, uh, the boyfriend wakes up and finds her, the TX at the bottom of his bed, and it kills him. That whole scene is like 20 seconds. Like, he wakes up, looks over, there she is, she spins around, blood. Like, that's a horror scene. Play it like one. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, drag it out. Like, and then it, it just moves so quickly where she's going through and killing all the, the, the uh, teenagers who are going to become... Connor's lieutenants. Yeah, that was a real like I I'm thinking about like, you know, Terminator 1 and this the amount of time it takes be- between the initial Sarah Connor death and like the plot really like that, that there's a build there. You you get the sense of of mission. Yeah. And it, it, here it all it all happens like the first 5 minutes and it just it's it, it, she comes in, she kills him, she walks away like there's there's none of the fear, the tension, the paranoia, the this the brutality of it all. Like and I, I I think they shot this film to be PG thirteen if they had to. It yeah. doesn't there's a real lack of impact and, and just lack I I'm not I don't need no blood and all that, but Oh I do. <laughs> I think you can make a pretty brutal film at PG thirteen, but there is a weird feel. Like there are, you know, there are f bombs. There is occasional shots, like where she sticks her arm through the cop and is steering the car. That's a cool effect. Him. But overall, it, it feels pretty tame in its action. Yeah. Um, so just talking about his direction, something that I felt pretty early on in the film was was the lack of atmosphere. Because I, I so with the the first one, like Terminator one, just oozes atmosphere, like. Everything's at night. All the like the neon lights, the the rainy ground, and just like the grungy feel of the camera and everything. Like it feels like it's just it, it sets its tone and feel just with the initial like the the killing Bill Paxton and stuff like that whole thing. Like you just get such a strong feeling for what this film is. And then I, I think T two does like it's it's a very different atmosphere and tone, but he's able to control it equally well. Where like you you get this kind of this huge these huge frames of like this idyllic 80s life and you know driving through the streets on the moped and stuff and and the slow-mo walk with the roses to the shot like there's just this cool you every frame of this movie feels like i get why this is like quintessential 80s action like you just feel that that vibe but here because of like the lack of you know i mean the first one is all dark and the second one you've got super crisp pictures and then the beautiful blue floodlights and stuff this really does feel like like oh we were out in la and we had a camera and we barely touched like what we shot you know like there's like you said there's very little grading and so to me the the movie has very little atmosphere at all like there's no real mood there's no sense of dread it's just scenes happening without like the the cinematic language isn't really helping inform you know like how to feel about all of this mm-hmm. uh, and then like just the, the more specifics of direction like trying to create that sense of, of tension the scene that really stood out to me that that lacked tension that should have been there was you know they're, when they're running through the halls and the drone flies over them and it turns around and i feel like it's just like 
it's this going back, like cutting to the drone, then cutting to them, then cutting to the drone. And then she's like, there's a gun here. And she picks it up and shoots at it as it flies at them. Like it, this sh should have felt more nail biting than it was. Like I'm, I'm just waiting for her to shoot it. I don't like, I, I'm not, I'm never really scared for any of these people. Um, so yeah, like altogether, these things that previous films did so well, which is this just this level of dread and paranoia and this incredible tone that's just in every frame. It's, none of that's really here. Yeah, um, but the positives, I think the best one of the best things I can say in this movie is in this movie's favor is just how watchable it is. Like it's it it's never boring it moves pretty well i i'm always i'm pretty engaged throughout um which is you know pretty shocking for a film that has no substance like usually i tune out pretty fast for movies like that but i think it, it it you know it comes it does what it needs to do and then it ends on a really high note so it's it's and it, you know, with a couple of good action scenes good performances so like it's, it's very weirdly watchable i think yeah i so so I said like something that I noticed early on was like the lack of tension and the lack of atmosphere and stuff. But something else that like kind of struck me early on was like I know that I, I like I think I'm, this is one of the ones that I'm supposed to hate, but I'm I'm having a a weirdly good time, but I I also think part of that is so part of, like because it's kind of just aping the structure before. I mean it's a structure that works. It's just it's built to be watched. <laughs> you know, like you throw it on and you get through this thing super fast and it's like there, there's a, that level of, of immediacy to it, but I I think because it's not like because there's so little to it and it is just kind of this road trip thing, there are these little charms to it that I like a lot. Like early on, whenever I notice all these weird little, they're not really like snap zooms, but they're like these weird, there's, there's weird things he keeps doing with the camera where he like focuses in on something in a super, I don't know, in a way that probably doesn't achieve the effect it was going for by today's standards. And then like whenever Arnie, like the Terminator shows back up in the truck and he hits, he like lands just over her and it's this terrible CGI and he plows into the, the TX and stuff. I'm like, this is all cheesy and ridiculous, but there's, there's some level of charm to this. And that kind of maintained throughout where I'm like, ah, very little of this is like legitimately good, but I'm kind of still okay just, like, knowing that I've got an hour left of this. And I, I think Mostow's direction for how bland it is is very um, clean, and I think his visual storytelling is on point. Like, there's very little dialogue, like, in, in the, the first 10 minutes, and there's a lot happening, but it's all pretty clear. And I think that, that sequence at the vet where there's a lot of moving parts and characters are kind of interacting and going off on their own, like, it's... There's a lot happening, but I think he tells it all in a very clear, concise manner. Um, you know that gets you through it. You know, even even if it's not terribly thrilling. <laughs> Such high praise for this movie. <laughs> so, so the last bits of notes I have aren't aren't things that I guess fit into to anything, or if they did, there's stuff we already passed up. But just a couple things that I wanted to mention before we go. So, the the CGI limits the effectiveness of this scene but i i liked it nonetheless where the the lieutenant her general what's his position again uh her father he's a, he's a yeah he's a general he's right? a general okay well it's like the scene where he's on the phone and he's 
he's freaking out about the virus and he's, he's asking like, well, I need to know who's doing this. And like, as he asked that in the, in the background of the frame, like the, the design that we've seen, this flying design flies up and it's got these cables to it. Like they're testing it. Like, I thought that was a cool little bit of, of writing and direction of, you know, you, we we're building it. We're hyping up this virus. We don't know what it is. We don't know what's going on. And it's that great. Like it's, it's a moment of, of like earned dramatic irony, you know, of, of seeing, of, of knowing that their destruction is what they're building. them literally, literally within the frame. The moment I thought you were going to talk about is where Claire Dane runs in like daddy. And then just gets machine gunned down from across the room. <laughs> oh, what a great visual. My last two notes, though, that I had was just die, you be is one of one. Whatever, like the, the, he turns the magnet on and she's she's got the cool effect of the liquid metal draining off that. Uh, it's a great delivery and that it's it's very ridiculous. There's no way to sell that line, but it got a good laugh from me. And my last little note, this is like it has it was it was just this. This moment of we need them to be able to do this, so we're not even going to try to like justify it too much. So when they're running away, and she just goes, "There's my dad's plane. I've trained on it before." <laughs> it's like before you stop to ask why she would know this. We're just in one zippy little line. There's my father's plane. I've trained on it before. Well, if she didn't <laughs> say that, there'd be a whole industry of uh, YouTubers. Why, how does she know how to fly a plane if we didn't see her training? Uh, which is why, like, the function of the line is just so immediately apparent. It's, it's, I don't know, everything about, it, like, the quickness of the delivery and, like, the fact that that's, like, how they decided that she would speak that out loud. It, it's just really funny. Like, we see a plane, like, there's that plane. I've trained on it. Let's hop aboard. It's clean and good size. Uh, there you and go. I, I, we should mention again, just I think the ending is pretty incredible. Like it belongs to a masterpiece. I think that's how good it is. Because you know the, the film is following that action format where we're going to go to the place and we're going to blow up the computer. You know, Every single action film does this. And they get there. And I, I love the, uh, the retro design. It's like 60s, mm. 70s design. Of that of that base, it's all very old and dusty. It's so clearly not of this time period. Yeah. And it feels this, like you, know, you could assume this is like a a relic of like the Cold War era. Yeah, and just the slow dawning realization and the way he lets it play out of what is happening. Like like the characters and the audience were led to believe one thing: there is hope. We can stop it. We can save it. And just the kind of the dawning real like. Uh, Kate, you know, re- understands at first, you know, her father sent her, her here to save them, but just that dawning realization on both their eyes as they're just, the despair starts to sink in. And it's, a, it's just a really good restraint about it all. Yeah. And the voices over the radio, like, what is going on? And it, it's it's just powerful. And the, the, the visuals of the nukes are really oh. well done. Um, the, especially the shot, you know, in the atmosphere, with a land, and the, you see the, the clouds billowing back. All the crisscrossing of the, the smoke and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's just an incredible sequence that, like, whatever frustrations I had, and, and I, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't really frustrated with the movie, it just wasn't deeply engaged. Like, it, it, it elevates the entire movie a notch just because it had the guts to do something so just bold and, 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 uh, and dark. Yeah. 
It, that, that whole last sequence has a level of like maturity in its storytelling that I feel like is a lot of the time absent from from everything else. But uh, but yeah, like I, I like that they get there and they're confused and we let them be confused for a little bit. And I I love that he he's not like, well, Kate, I guess I've got to do this. Like it's just he's been running from this. It, this is weird because like I can talk about it as if I'm referring to a full arc, and even though that didn't necessarily happen over the course of the movie, this last moment works really well. Of you know, he he looks at it and he, without having to say anything to the audience, we're aware of what's going on internally for him. Like he's hearing these voices, and so whenever he picks up the phone and says, "This is John Connor," like we know what that means. We know by answering and by, we've got so much attachment to the name John Connor beyond just the character but what it means like John Connor as an idea that by like identifying himself during this scenario as like I am John Connor even though they don't know the significance of it we as the audience do and I it's just such a great moment and then yeah like the visuals of there, there's one the one of the shots that I also really loved was it was from the ground and you just see like six uh missiles launching up all at once and it's like eerily beautiful to me uh, yeah, I, it, the, it, the benefit of like the best moment of this being at the end is that's what you're left with. And so as somebody who's going into this, being prepared to be like just severely disappointed, the fact that it ends in this very bold way, this, this massive subversion of, of what, what I thought was going to happen. Like it's, I, I walked away pretty impressed, you know, it's, it's, not at all a movie that I absolutely love, but I'm like, I can say that I like this movie, you know, like, and that was a cool way to end it. I kind of would have liked to have seen, like, been there in the theater back in 2003, like the stunned silence as it ends, before people started talking and thinking about it and realizing how not great <laughs> it was. But just that that moment of that ending would have been really cool to experience for the first time back then. Yeah. So one of my criticisms of Terminator 2 was that it felt like as exceptionally well directed as it was and as tight as the script was it still felt too derivative and I, and i brought up my little you know like the how does the liquid metal get there without the blah 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 but there it, it didn't feel like like it ended in a different place of like maybe we really preserved hope maybe there is maybe we avoided what was going to happen but for most of its runtime it was very much like uh, there's two terminators we're running from one and and we end up in a little different place, but it still feels like we did one again, but much more action. And what I like that this does is I feel like by the end of this movie, you're able to reframe this whole trilogy as a series of fighting the same fight until you realize that that fight is pointless and it's time to look to the future. And so I, I'm almost more okay with T2 being more derivative because it's, you get like, we sent him after this, it didn't work. We sent him after this, or, or like we were able to stop him. We sent him again, we were able to stop him. We sent him again. And this time we just couldn't do it. So with Terminator 2 just being a, just one of many fights to keep this thing from happening until it has to happen, like that, that becomes a cool way to look at this trilogy, I think. And so I... Even though this is by far the weakest of the trilogy, I think it finds a way to uni like to unify the three in a way that I find pretty satisfying, actually. 
Yeah, it, it, it it's one of those films like it's not great, but it does what it needs to do. It doesn't break anything. Um, exactly. It, it ends where it needs to end. It ends right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you ready to move into your star rating and ranking? Yeah. All right. So uh, what do you give this amount of five stars? And uh, <laughs> how do you rank the, ser- the trilogy so far? Uh, so I give I wonder this... where this one's going to land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I give this three out of five. Um, I, I kept dipping. There were moments throughout where I was dipping half a star either side. Um, by the end, I was like, I, I felt like I, I definitely like this more than I don't. But mm-hmm. outside of the ending, there still feels to be too little here to to love to like it any more than how much I do. So, so I was like, three stars. I I do think it is a I I think it's a good movie. I I think it does things well. I think. For as bland as it looks, I think there are a couple moments that I think are pretty cool. Um, it's an interesting take on what's going on. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was pleasantly surprised, um, which is the benefit of, of all of this lost or uh, of all of this time that I didn't spend with it. So yeah, I go, I go T2, T1, T3. Uh, yeah, I give it three stars as well. It's a perfectly fine, enjoyable, rainy day, early 2000s action movie. With a pretty killer ending, so three stars. I've never, you know, I'm never sorry I watched it, even though it doesn't, you know, do a terribly huge amount for me. As far as the ranking is, T two, T one, and T three. So as far as the box office, it earned 150 million domestically and 283 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 433 million on its roughly 170 to 200 million dollar budget. Uh, even with 12 years of inflation, that's 80 million less than Judgment Day made, mm. which. That's got to hurt them. Yeah. It still stands uh, as uh, the second highest grossing film in the series, both domestically and internationally, which says something it's about how well the, the next three films have done. So a moderate financial success, but it couldn't have been you know anything close to what they were hoping for with all the money they threw at it. Um, um, so it holds a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 66 on Metacritic. Uh, the reception at the time seems to be moderately positive, uh, people think, you know, it's a decent action film, um, but there's obviously a, quite a bit of disappointment uh, considering the pedigree of the series at that point. Um, and, but I think since its release, the reception has just been on a slow and steady decline with, you know, people occasionally popping up to appreciate its ending and then continue, you know, hating on it as, you know, the, the disappointment it is or whatever. Yeah, so with its... Like looking at the film's legacy itself, that's that's definitely what it looks like. Where it, it it feels like everybody was like, okay, that that was fine, like, you know, whatever. And then it was, well, now I thought about it and I like it less. And then that just builds and builds, and then you get into the age of the internet, and now it's now like we're all talking together about why it's so disappointing, especially. The further and further we continue to get from T two, where you know, like this was, this is a decade later, and so or, uh, what ninety one to two thousand three, so a little over a decade later from uh, Terminator two, and so it, it had, at that point it was already like established as an amazing movie, but by the time of the internet, like no, this is this isn't a, a movie that we even really have in our immediate rear view. This is like a bona fide classic. This is this is one of the action greats. 
And so going into online discourse with with Terminator 1 and 2 having these legacies, now that we can all globally talk about this, we're all like, oh yeah, this is this continues to fall. With the only like the only thing that I'd say to that though that might be different and I guess we'd have to see how it plays out is it feels like recently there's been and I guess it's because of these continued sequels there's I've seen a slight more amount of pre- appreciation for T3 because if you it feels like the general acknowledgement is like oh yeah it's not a good movie at all it's really bad I'm seeing more and more of those people popping up to be like actually it's okay like actually it's it's fine it's like there are some people who are like well of the many times they tried to end this trilogy I think this one was the best and blah 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 so <laughs> so there's a there's it and maybe it's only because my exposure to the franchise in general has been increasing that I'm seeing this and it's not necessarily indicative of of any change but it feels like there's a slow like it wasn't really that bad it's the weakest but it's fine kind of thing that just that seems about right like I I don't I don't see it getting a real you know, kind of cult resurgence, though. Yeah. I don't. I just. I don't think there's enough there to warrant that. Then again, there's worst nothing movies, unique. <laughs> worst movies have had, have had one, but I don't see it happening here. Um, usually, they have to have a bit more personality. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was our review of Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd ask you again to please uh, take a moment uh, to go and rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, like us on Facebook at uh, Franchise Sneak Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisedPod. And you can find all our other episodes at FranchiseSneakPodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? You can find me over on Letterboxd. I'm there as JL Hamry. It's JL H-A-M-R-I. And then you can find the both of us over on The Outer Room, a Star Wars group on Facebook. I, I kept saying, you know, we're we're in the middle of Star Wars stuff during Mandalorian, and I was wondering, like, what, what are what am I gonna say after this finishes? You know, like, because I, I can, I can use the High Republic as a way to be like, yeah, there's still a lot of Star Wars stuff to talk about. So join us over Bad there. Bad Batch is coming. But, well, yeah, the thing is now that's not a problem anymore because we've got Bad Batch and we've got season three and we've got Book of Boba and we've got like, man, we're gonna have a lot of Star Wars for a while. So. There's plenty, if you like the series and you like talking about it in a positive way, there's plenty of reason to uh, to join us over there. Yep, and uh, you can find me on Letterboxd as well. I am there as Gabriel Green, and you can find me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. I also have a YouTube channel where I make uh, movie-based music videos and uh, trailer mashups and whatnot. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, Terminator Salvation. Um, and after T2, I've only seen each of the sequels once which is pretty rare for the films we've talked about on the show. I think there's only a couple in like the, what, 99 we've done on the show that I've only seen once previously. So this will be an interesting experience. Uh, I didn't really like this one. Uh, I do remember liking the aesthetic though. So it's got that at least one up on T3. Uh, also a really good trailer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about next week. I'm really hoping I like it better than I did the first time. Uh, not holding my breath, though. We're getting to the one I've seen, boys. <laughs> we expect you to bring your know, tremendous insight. Oh, I will, as always. All right. All right. So until next week, we will see you in uh, the desolation of the future. Your levity is good. It relieves tension and the fear of death. 